Uh, this morning, I, I'm, I'm going to be talking to you about being planted, and I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 92, Psalms chapter 92. I'm just going to look at, look at a couple of verses this morning. I want you to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word. I'm going to reverse, read, be reading verses 12 through 15, Psalms chapter 92, verses 12 through 15, and this is a Sabbath song. This is a song that was written by a guy 3,000 years ago by the name of David. Now, if you've read the Bible for any period of time, David's one of these guys that, for me personally, I mean, Jesus is my superhero. Come on. We're here today because of Jesus. But there are people that God used in their generation that were a reflection of God, and they were committed to the purposes of God. And David's just one of my heroes. And David wrote this psalm. I don't know if they showed the picture of the Dome of the Rock just a moment ago, but David actually wrote this psalm in Jerusalem 3,000 years ago on a little pad of land called Mount Moriah. And it was a place that the Jewish people had dedicated. Their father Abraham, 1,000 years before David, uh, had offered his son as a sacrifice, Isaac. Didn't do it, didn't offer him, but was willing to do it. God spared him. There was a ram in the thicket, but God spared him. But David used that place. David recognized that place as a holy place, a sacred place, a place where he could connect deeply with God. And out of that experience, out of that experience, on Sabbath, on Sabbath, which would be Saturday, David wrote this song, a song. It was a song. He was looking out over his life. He was looking out over his week. He was looking at the way people lived, the way the wicked lived. He was looking at the way the righteous lived. And he writes these word, words beginning with verse number 12. The Bible says in verse number 12, the righteous. Everyone say righteous. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will still stay fresh and green. They will bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. Proclaiming the Lord is upright. This morning, I want to talk to you on this idea, planted in God's house. Planted in God's house. Can I pray for you today? Father, thank you this morning for this awesome time that we've already experienced in your presence. Lord, the reality of who you are, Lord, that, that, that sense of expression of gratitude and thanksgiving as we lifted our voice in song to you. Lord, for every person at the sound of my voice today, they've come in here with different challenges and different places of life. Some have had a great week. Some have had a challenging week. But God, they're here in the right place to encounter a fresh word from you. And I pray over these next few moments, God, that that it would not just be my words, but literally it would become your words in the ear and the hearts of those who hear. I pray blessing upon your people. And God, one more time, give me the grace to communicate this truth in your wonderful and mighty and awesome name. And all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning. The house of the Lord. They who are planted in the house of the Lord. I love this concept. I, I love this idea. The Old Testament concept of house, that, that place where the Jewish people dedicated as a solemn and holy place was a sacred place. For thousands of years, Jewish people have, been, have gone back to Jerusalem, to this one particular spot. They've recognized it as a holy place, a place of worship. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, it was called the house of God. Now, when David wrote this, there wasn't even a building there. He was actually inside of a tent. 
He was actually inside of a tent, and on that tent, there were, art, there were different uh, aspects of it. And you can read in the Bible, you can read about the articles and the artifacts that were inside of there, but there was a, there was a covenant. There was an Ark of the Covenant, it was called. It was a, a box made of acacia wood and, and laid in gold. It was beautiful. And, and it was, there were these things that represented spiritually to them the act of worship of a holy God, the one true God. David was worshiping God in this place, and this concept of the house of God carries through in the New Testament. You see, the challenges in the New Testament, we always think of the church as a building, but the church is never a building. When we get to the New Testament, the reality is is that the church is no longer a building. The church is we. Come on, the church is me. The church is I. The church is you. Every person that's encountered God, Paul the Apostle said it like this, if the living God is in you, the Spirit of God is in you, you are now the temple of God. And so when you say yes to Jesus and his Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, you are now God's temple. You are a carrier. You are a carrier. They used to have to carry that which represented the presence of God. Now listen, God couldn't, could never be contained in a box, but it represented God to them. They'd have to carry him in a little box, and it was a sacred holy box. But now I want you to know today there's a sacred box. It's right inside of your heart, and everywhere you walk, everywhere you talk, come on, every place you go, you are carriers of God's presence. Someone said amen. We are now the house of God. It's individually, it's individual. We're individually the house of God, but it's also corporately, it's also a we. We are the house of God. We are the people of God, not a building. Thankful for the building, but this building is just a metal building. I'm not even a big fan of a metal building, honestly. I had a discussion with one of our guys this week, we were talking about, you know, I would rather see this to be a nice concrete building, personally. I feel safer in a concrete building in Hurricanes of Florida. Does anybody else feel safer in a concrete building? Come on, help me out here, help me out. The house of God, the people of God, it's a we, and it's an individual, it's a me. We are the people of God, but, but it's also got me carrying God. And there's something that happens when God's people gather together. We begin to sing songs. There's an increased reality that he is with us. Listen, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We get all that, but there's something that happens tangibly when a group of people gather together to worship him. The problem is a lot of people think that if they go to church, they're being the church. But going to church doesn't make you the church any more more than me walking inside of my garage today makes me an automobile. Just doesn't happen like that. There's a difference between going to church and being the church. There's a huge difference. Huge, 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 huge difference. You see, if I just go to church, I can smile shake a few people's hand, run out to the parking lot real quick, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I can be nasty, crotchety, mean, stub my toe, cuss a little, drink a little, smoke a little, be like anybody else. And you tell someone sitting next to you, oh, I go to church, and they go like, what, really? <laughs> you go to church where? <laughs> well, it's down there. What's the pastor's name? Well, I'm not sure. I don't know. I go to church. Going to church and being the church are two different things. Because, see, when you become the church, the people of God, you ain't perfect. We know that. We, we understand that today. But your heart's desire is to be more like him. Your heart's desire is to be more like Jesus. David loved three things. David loved the presence of God. He loved the presence of God. He loved it. And listen, David didn't need a building. David didn't need an ark. 
David could worship God in the hillside. David could worship God on the road, on his way to the temple. David was a worshiper. He loved the presence of God. He loved what it represented, that delight, that delight in God. David loved the purposes of God in his generation. The Bible said David served God's purposes in his life. David loved the people of God. David loved the people of God. David was planted in God's house. He understood that concept. I want you to check out the, uh, a little video today. It's, it's kind of sarcastic. I'm going to just give it a little bit of that. It's a little sarcastic. But it's one guy's idea of going to church. Check this out. Jesus, I am late for church. I'm just going to speak this parking spot into existence right now. Just name it and claim it, Jesus. Oh, for heaven's sakes, use the crosswalk. I, okay, I have the fruit of the Spirit, but y'all need to move. Ooh, she is going to wear that into... Bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes. Jesus, give me a miracle. I need a ram in the thicket. I love this church. It's just like, come as you are. You know what I'm saying? How do I look, though? Does this jacket go with this shirt? Oh, good Lord. Guests, single parents expected mother who doesn't have a parking spot these days i have been here 27 years i deserve respect oh yeah go ahead take my parking spot she listen she probably needs jesus more than me honestly use your mirror how long does it take to back out of a jesus give me strength this is so str honestly there better be coffee there better be coffee y'all are gonna make me park in a handicap spot oh look there go the homeschoolers i swear if somebody took the last jelly donut i will don't make me get out of the oh move hey, are that you on the ministry team not today okay oh you're gonna drive a lexus okay i know where your treasure's at not in heaven the sermon series is what putting others in front of yourself oh this doesn't apply to me I mean, for heaven's sakes, move out of the road. Look at this truck. Where are you going? A church or a Trump rally? Finally found a parking spot 15 minutes late. Oh, it is way too cold out here. But you better bring a shuttle or I will watch this service online. <laughs> All right. That... I know that was bad, but it was funny. Come on. That was funny. <laughs> Oh, you know why David loved the house of God? You know why David loved being planted in God's house? Because the Bible said it was the place that he would flourish. Being planted in God's house was the place that David would flourish. It's why I love God's house. This whole idea, this whole concept of flourishing has to do with delighting in God. It has to do with, it has to do with expansion and enlargement and blessing. That's exactly what it is. See, God created you. God designed you. God made you out of love, out of a heart of love. God is love today. Yes, God is holy. Yes, God is pure today. But what God is above everything else, God is love. And out of that love, he made you. And he said you were good. And he desired for you to flourish. And he desired to bless you. And he desired to bless your family. He desired to bless your marriage. He desires to bless your relationships. He desires to bless you. It's the heart of a good father. The Bible says a good father desires to give good gifts. And a good God today wants you to flourish. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to abound. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. God created this world. It's a beautiful place, but it's a fallen place. There's brokenness. We get it. We get the dichotomy. We get the tension. We get the struggle between the goodness of God and the evil of the world. We get this tension even in our own lives, in our own walk. But I discovered we all love beauty. Everybody loves beauty. It's why 57 million people a year go to the flower festival at Disney. 
Come on. You ever been to the flower festival? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I love, I love beauty. You love beauty. We all love, we're attracted to beauty. We're attracted to things that are created beautiful. I was listening to an NPR podcast this week, and there's a small group. It's a very small group. It's in Italy, northern Italy, and it's called the Ugly People's Club. <laughs> I'd say that the whole program, like 45 minutes, I listened to the podcast. It was on ugly people. And they got a president, and his wife's vice president, and his daughter's in it, and they rate how ugly people are. <laughs> and to get in the group, you got to be pretty ugly. And so the interviewer asked her, you know, my, you know how, what, how do you rate me? And they go, well, you're from another country. We're going to give you a pass. So we don't want to. But it was pretty funny. The fact is we are attracted to beauty, this, the cement, symmetry of, of beautiful. The, what it does, it brings the light inside of us. And God created you to be beautiful. Not that your life would, in this life, it's never going to be completely perfect. But there's a sense of beauty. You will flourish. You will flourish. It's a promise. It's pregnant with God. It's his heart. You will flourish. Uh, a couple of years ago, we moved over to Lake Marion. When we lived in Oviedo, we had a big yard, and I would try to, you know, I'd have flowers and stuff, and, and like they would die. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, give me that flower, it's gonna die. And we had some pots, and I tried to go out and water, but not real consistent, too big of a yard, whatever it was. And, and so three years ago, we moved right down the street here and got ourselves a little townhouse, and we downsized, and we're still trying to downsize. And, and I just, Something happened. I said, you know, I think I'm going to try to grow something. I'm trying to, try to grow. So the, a couple of years ago, I grew tomatoes and some peppers, and they actually grew. I couldn't believe it. It was a miracle. Come on, amen. But then I started planting flowers. And I found that I really like flowers. I love the beauty of flowers. I love the way they make our house look, and the way my front porch look, and the way my neighbors, hey, I like your flowers. I like that. I like when people say that to me. I want to show you, I planted this in the fall. I've already taken these out, and, but uh, here are some flowers that I planted this last fall. And they're, for me, to me, they're beautiful. And, and a young lady came over to her house, and, and she cleans every couple of weeks, and we have a house cleaner, the kind of life that we live in our business of our schedule. We have a person that comes in and helps make our house beautiful, and she was cleaning our house, and, and I was transplanting. I was doing some new flowers in the garden in, in this little pot. And she said, you really like flowers, don't you? And I said, yeah. I said, I love beautiful things. I said, it's exactly why we have you clean the house. Because after you leave, after you, leave, after you clean our house, it's a beautiful home again. <laughs> we like beautiful things. God has created us. God desired for you to flourish, to be blessed. Psalms 115. I want you to hear the heart of God for you today. I'm going to get off this real quick here, but I want you to hear God's heart for you. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless those who fear the Lord. He will bless. This is a promise of God to bless, to delight in. And we get so goofed up in America, we think it's all about money. It's an aspect, it's a small aspect, but money goofs a lot of people up. Money can goof up people more than it can help them many times, not all the time. No one wants to be poor. We get that. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, to bud, to spread out, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord. May you be blessed by the Lord. But where are you blessed at? How does it happen? Where's the place? You know what the psalmist said? When you are planted in the house of the Lord. When you're in relationship with God. When you are in a community of believers. You are planted. When you become the we. When your faith becomes, moves beyond a little personal faith. A little personal God. To the God of us. 
the God who is with us, who lives among us and dwells us and understands that we as a people have a mission, have a purpose, have a plan. They were planted in God's house, the house of the Lord. 28 years now, 28 years I've done this, 28 years I've preached, 28 years I've encouraged, 28 years I've coached, 28 years I've cleaned bathrooms, 28 years I've picked up other people's dirty diapers who they left behind, 28 years And what I found in these 28 years, basically the reason how I ended up in ministry is that I was willing to do anything that the pastor asked me to do. I never set out to be a pastor. I never, it wasn't my goal. I didn't even know how, what this was about or anything like that. But I just, I love the house of God. I wanted to serve and God so changed me. Let me tell you, before I knew Christ, I can tell you, I didn't care about you. I can tell you my dream, the plan of my life. I didn't wake up in the morning thinking about how I could help people take their next step in God. That was not what I was thinking about. I was thinking where I was going to get my next beer, uh, next bond. Come on. I was thinking about Eugene Smith. I was not thinking about you. But when Christ came to my life, when I became a new creature, when he changed my heart, changed my life, made me a new person, God gave me his heart. I realized there was something powerful about being planted. I didn't even understand all this. I understand the house of the Lord, the concepts, and all the biblical teaching behind it. I understood the power of being planted in God, being committed to his purposes. They were planted. David said they flourished because they were planted in the house of their God. So what does this look like? What does this look like when we are planted in the house of God? The first thing about a person who is planted in the house of God that you must know, the first thing is that you know the one true God. The first thing about being planted in God's house is that you have a relationship with God. You know the God of creation. Pastor Glenn mentioned him at the close of the worship time. The God that created the world. Doesn't matter what scientists try to tell you. Doesn't matter what the the latest evolutionary theory is. Doesn't matter what the atheist says or the New York Times says or the Washington Post says or any other person out there who's rejected the reality of a one true God. Hear me today. God spoke this thing into existence and it happened. How it all happened, I don't have all that figured out, but I know there's a big God. Everyone say big God. And the moment we step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we get to know him, to know the one true God, the God who made us. The God who made us for, for, made this world. The God who created us for beauty. The God who created us for pleasure. The God who delights in you today. God delights in you today. I have to remind myself that every day because I have an old nature that wants to keep groveling, keep going back. And I said, no, God delights in me today. God really loves me today. He really loves you today. Paul the apostle expressed it like this to the church at Philippi. Listen, Paul wrote this, this prison epistle. He wrote this letter from prison. And a little tiny, and this, uh, this wasn't a prison with a television set where guys got to work out all day and look like Superman when they get out. That's not what this prison was. This prison was probably four feet in height. It stank. There was no running water. There was no flushing toilets. And they threw this guy in prison for preaching the gospel, for telling other people about Jesus and about his purpose. And he says, I want to know this Christ. I want to know this anointed one. I want to know this resurrected one. I want to know Christ and the power that raised him from the dead. I want to know him. First thing, if you're going to flourish in God, you got a relationship with him. Here's the deal. Jesus said it like this. And this is complex in our culture because, you know, we go to workplaces and jobs where there's all these different worldviews. And, you know, you're, and you're not allowed to have, if, you're, if you have only a way, you're narrow-minded, you're bigoted, you're whatever. they got a whole list of adjectives they want to give you because you believe in there's a way. But let me tell you today, this is what Jesus said. 
This is Jesus, the man who lived a sinless, perfect life. Come on, 2,000 years ago on Golgotha, just outside, just right outside of the temple area, on a little mount called Golgotha, they hung Christ. But death couldn't hold him down. Went into a grave. Went into a little tiny grave. And on the third day, he arose again. He is God. Come on. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. He's alive today. He's risen from the dead. And the fact is today, he is the one true God. He is the one true God that we worship. He is the one true God that we praise. Oh, we know him. Jesus said, I am the way. Did you hear that today? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. We must know God, number one. Number two, we will find freedom. I want you to hear that he, what the psalmist says here. They will grow like the cedar of Lebanon. Cedar's a beautiful tree. I've never been to Lebanon. As a matter of fact, over the centuries, the forests of Lebanon have almost been completely deforested. But we lived in the great Northwest. My wife grew up in Portland, and I lived in Portland and Seattle for about 13 years. And if you go out to the old growth area, you go out to the old growth area, you'll still, even in some of the smaller communities, you'll still see cedar trees. There's lots of, there's pine trees, but there's these massive cedar trees. I mean, they're huge. The sequoias are kind of an example down in Northern California. There are cedar trees that are so wide that you could literally drive a car through them. And in the Northwest, there are these massive cedar trees. They get maybe 150 feet tall, and their trunks are 8 feet, 10 feet. They're just big trees, and they're beautiful trees. I mean, they use cedar, you know, to line closets. They have a beautiful fragrance that they at least release certain times of year. And, and we were living in an apartment complex, and, and I remember there was one cedar tree left. They had clear-cut this whole neighborhood. You know how they do here. They come in, and they're going to build a new subdivision. So they, they have, you know, you, you pull up to this, you go to this area, and you see this be- beautiful live oak trees. And they got moss hanging from them. And they got the great big bulldozer, earth mover out there. And then you get, and they leave one tree standing. Come on, you know, you've seen that before? Come on, they leave one, like one little lone poor tree out there. And that's what they did. They left this one cedar tree. The problem with cedar trees, the problem with cedar trees is they are never meant to grow alone. They never were meant to grow alone. They, they really need other cedar trees around them. And in 1992, and the reason I remember this, it was January of 1992, Bill Clinton was being inaugurated, and I was sitting in my apartment, and all of a sudden, there was this windstorm that just came blowing across the lake and blowing right through our community. And that giant cedar tree, all of a sudden, I didn't know what it was, but I heard this boom. I mean, it was just like like a bomb went off. And what had happened was, is that giant cedar tree out in the front of our property went down. And I remember after the storm calmed down, I walked out there to, to access the damage, and it meant everything that was in its path that just wiped out. It was so massive. Boom. You know when trees are, are on the ground, they seem a lot bigger than when they're straight up in the air? Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you ever had to cut a tree up like after a hurricane, like, whoa, that's a big tree. It didn't look that big standing up, but it gets on the ground. It's really big. And I remember I walked up to it, and the tree had snapped off. It, it, it didn't come up from the roots. It had literally snapped off about three or four feet up. When I looked over at this giant cedar tree, it was completely rotted out from the center. It was rotted out, and that's why I snapped. That's why I went down. And, and, and we are like the cedars of Lebanon. 
But what happens many times for people who are just going to church and aren't living and being in the church, there's a lot of rot. There's a lot of disease inside. And we're not getting healed of our hurts. Come on. We're not getting healed of our hurts. We're not getting healed of our bad habits. We're not getting healed of life hangups because we keep trying to do it on our own. But God wants us to be planted like the cedars of Lebanon in community with other people because God wants you to find freedom. Everyone say freedom. Now listen, we will never reach perfection in this life. But here's the deal. You are instantly purified. You're going through life and you stub your toe. You know what I mean by stubbing your toe? You goof up. You just, you do it, you hit a little bump. You hit a little bump in your life. Come on, you hit a little bump in your life. It's, oh, then you come to this realization, you know what, God, I really messed up, I sinned. And you know who you sinned against first? Yeah, you might have sinned against other people, but you first sinned against God. You say, oh, God, forgive me. You said, Lord, if I confess my sins, you're faithful to just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all my wrongdoing. So we understand today, the moment we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive. You know what that's called? Purity. Everyone say purity. God makes you instantly pure, but he doesn't make you instantly mature. That's a process. You're growing like the cedars of Lebanon. You're connected with other believers. You're part of God's house. You're in small groups. That's why we keep talking about small groups, small groups, small group, small group. And listen, man, if there's not a small group we have for you, start your own small group. I love what Paul says to the church at Galatia in Galatians 5.13. Galatians 5.13, Paul says, God is absolutely clear. It's absolutely clear God has called you to be free. It's absolutely clear. Say, I'm free. Uh, you might not believe it yet, but I believe it. I believe it. This is what God says. God's called you to be free. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve. Serve in community. Serve others. One another in love. That's how freedom grows. That's how flourishing grows. Serving one another. Growing together. Oh, God loves you. God loves you today. But not only are we called to live a life of freedom today, God wants us to discover the purpose for which we were created. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Paul says it like this, we are simply God's servants. We are simply God's servants. The moment Christ comes into our life, we're just servants. Dulias, dulios, dulias, females, as, os, male, Dulios, dulios. We're simply God's servants in his house. And a servant does whatever his master asks. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, you know, he comes and he says, the master tells the servants to go out and feed him. And they just thanked him for what they did. It's an expectation. Servants of God, they just serve. They serve others. They, they understand that God's designed and shaped and made them. We have a class here called Growth Track. We offer it once a month. Our next Growth Track is June 9th. And, and it's really, if you haven't taken this step yet, I was at break, or lunch or breakfast this week with a young lady that attends our church. She might even be here today. She was telling me she'd been part of a small group. And I said, well, have you gone to, have you gone to Growth Track yet? She said, no, I haven't gone to Growth Track. I said, that's your next step. Your next step today. Your next step today is to, to start to understand why God's designed you. Some of you are already walking in God's design. I, I love to celebrate people like Miss Jackie because she was a willing servant she did faithfully what God told her to do. She gave of her money. She gave her talents. She used to buy all the books for the people that would go to Celebrate Recovery. She would personally spend her own money. She gave of her, she gave of her finances. She gave of her time faithfully at her post every single Thursday, 12 single every year. 
New Year's Eve when the rest of the staff is off because we don't do church New Year's Eve. We do it Christmas Eve. She's here at the church and she has a small group for people that are really struggling with addictions that need a place to go to New- on New Year's Eve. And just faithful. She's a servant of God's house. Each one of us does the work which the Lord gave you to do. God's given you a work to do. God's given you a work. It ain't just the preacher boys up here. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a role. I have a microphone. I have a, I have a, I understand that today. But this work is, it is, this isn't my church. This is our church. Ultimately, it's his church. He paid for it with his own blood. He purchased this church with, the blo- with his own blood. We do this for his glory, but there's a work that he's given us to do. There's a work he's given you to do, to serve, to serve others. I, I, I'm going to brag on my wife here. The other day, we're, we're shopping and I look over, and she's selling. She's not a salesperson for this grocery store that we're at, right? She's just a grocery person with a, with a little thing pushing around. And she's talking to this other person about all the benefits of a certain prop, whatever it was. That she was and she's, like, selling to them, and she's trying to help this person. And sometimes I'm, like, scratching my head. Like, I just, you know, when I shop, you know what my mission in shopping is? Get her done. Get her done. Come on. Know what I want? Hunt, kill, destroy, get out. You know what I mean? Carry, carry, <laughs> carry out the spoilage. Just get out of here. You know? I'm like, oh man, I gotta wait again. And this has been going on for a long time because it's in her nurture, her nature. She wants to serve. You create, there's a mission, there's a purpose. God shaped you. Everyone say shaped. God shaped you specifically with a certain design in a certain way. God has a work for every person to do in this room. Because when you start to do God's purposes, when you start to fulfill the purpose for which he has created you, you recognize that your life makes a difference. You recognize that your life makes a difference and you gotta tell someone else. Look what he says here. Proclaiming the uprightness of our God. Telling others. Making a difference. My, this is what God's done for me. This is what God's done in my life. I, I gotta share this with someone else. It's why, we're, it's why we're so committed in this local church to the next generation. It's why we're so committed to the children's ministry and to the youth ministry. It's why we're so committed to discipling and equipping and pouring our finances and our time and our resources. It's why we're so committed to City Church Academy that we're building another building over here so that we can bring our kids over from the other campus and they can, they can grow in God because here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. One day... One day, I'm going to pass this on. I'm going to pass it on. I don't know when that day is, but one day, I'm going to pass this on. And there's a generation that's coming up behind me. There's a generation of children. There's a generation of young people. There's a generation of missionaries. There's a generation of pastors. There's a generation of lawyers. There's a generation of doctors. There's a generation of mechanics. Come on, in this house. There's a generation of plumbers and carpenters and artists. There's a generation of secretaries. I don't call, we don't call them secretaries anymore. We, uh, assistants, administrative assistants. There's a generation that needs to carry the purpose of God with them everywhere they go. Oh, making a difference in this generation. God, God loves it. God, we will tell these, the psalmist says, we will not hide these truths from our kids. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds and the goodness of our God, about his power and his mighty wonders watching Christian families, watching people come into this house who's 
and grow and see their families grow, people that are planted and see them have kids. And I mean, it's the delight of my life. The greatest sorrow of my life is to see people who leave embittered, who leave hurt, like that cedar tree. They get a little offense. Something happens inside. They start to rot and leave the ways of God. It breaks my heart. I've seen it over and over and over. So many people, they get distracted by the cares of life and the problems and the circumstances. As a, as a pastor, my heart breaks. My heart breaks every time a parent has a child that rebels against God and says they don't believe in God any longer. My heart breaks. I'm sorry. God wants to bless today. The rest of the story hasn't been told yet. But here's what you have to do. Here's your part. I want you to hear this today. They will bear fruit. People who are planted in God's house, people who are planted in God's house will bear fruit. Look at verse 14. Bear fruit in old age. Bear fruit. When you leave here today, and if you go out the drive, out the dirt drive out this way, on that little dirt road over there, there is maybe two, but there's one single orange tree that I see every time. There's an orange tree. Uh, this area that you are in right now, this area used to be called, uh, what's that? Paola. This was Paola, Paola, Florida. And there were thousands and thousands and thousands of orange, uh, orange trees here, acres and acres and acres and acres and acres, thousands of acres. This street right out here, the church is on, is called Orange Boulevard, right? And there's this one lone tree on our property, and every year it produces oranges. Last year, I remember as I was driving out, I just thought, I wonder what that orange is like. And I went over to that orange, one lone tree. It's all cru- cr- you know, crusty and bark all messed up and ugly. And I, I took that orange and I peeled it and I bit into it. And I, it was so bitter. You know why? It'd been neglected. I mean, I, who knows? I mean, I don't know how long. It was a long time ago that they stopped taking care of oranges. Or I don't know how many years, but many, many years ago. One stand. One, I bless God. I'm the last one in this church that's still faithful. You know, crotchety, bitter. As we get older, we either get better. Come on. We either get more like Jesus, and he makes us more kind because the fruit of the Spirit is growing our life. He makes us more loving. More generous, more gentle, more. I'm growing. Come on, we're growing. There's some pruning every once in a while God has to do in my life and your life as well. But we either get bitter as we get older, or we get better. We are planted in God's house. When we're planted in his house, we'll bear fruit in our old age. And the people look, you know, there's something an old guy gets up. Old missionary gets up, old pastor gets up. And starts talking about, I'm not that, I'm not old yet, okay? <laughs> I'm still, I'm trying, I'm do the next verse here. See, God's kingdom, I might pass the mic. I might pass the mic. But you know what's never going to happen? I'm never going to stop being a believer. I'm never going to stop serving in his house. I'm never going to stop greeting people at the door. I'm never going to stop doing my part. Yeah, I bless God I did it in 1947 or 1987 or 97 or 2007 or 2007. That's great. That's good. But if I'm going to stay fresh, I got to bear fruit today. Bear fruit in my old age. Come on. I'll bear fruit as I grow in God. And the last thing, I love this verse. It says, they will, verse 14, they will stay fresh. They will stay fresh and green. God's promise to you that stay planted in his house and keep serving. 
You'll stay fresh. You'll keep growing. You'll keep reading books. You'll keep going to the gym. You'll keep thinking of new ways to make money so that you can send missionaries on the mission field. You'll be growing and you'll be fresh and you'll be green and you'll have new ideas. You won't be like my grandfather who wore the same blue and white striped shirt for 37 years, five days a week. One of his co-workers complained about the blue and white shirt, so he went and got an orange and white shirt. And he wore that till he died. No, fresh, green, stay young in mind. We're fighting to the good fight to the very end. We have a generation to reach. We have a mission to carry on. Come on. We have a gospel. We have a good news for this generation that God loves people, wants them to flourish, wants them to live a blessed life, an abundant life. Yes, there's battles. Yes, there's challenges. We get it. We understand it. Oh, but they keep fresh and green. So how do we do this? How, how, I'm going to wrap this all up. Wrap this all up today. There's one word, commitment. Commitment. We got to commit today. Commit. Okay, God. Okay, God. I'm surrendering. I'm giving it all to you, all to Jesus. There's an old guy in the Bible. His name was Joshua. He was 85 years of age. Him and Josh and him and his partner Caleb are the only two guys that cross into the promised land. The Bible says that Caleb, when they crossed over into the promised land, he was 85 years of age. He said, I'm still strong. I got a vision for the future. He tells Joshua, give me this mountain. Come on, I want to do this again one more time, God. I want to make a difference one more time. I want to raise my children. I want to reach my grandchildren. Maybe the kids went sideways, but I can touch their kids. I can reach the grandchildren. God, I'm going to do this one more time. Number one, if you're here today, you don't know God. Your first step is just to commit to knowing him. Say, God, I want to know you. I, I believe I'm hearing this. I know him. The way we, on Sunday morning, we express as we worship God together. You're making a commitment today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship God with God's people. I'm going to make a commitment. It's why we come to church every week. Because we want to know God. We want to experience his presence. We want to be with his people in the house of the Lord. We commit to finding freedom. We're committed to living a life. Yes, we understand we're in the battle, flesh and spirit today. But God wants our spirit person to grow. And it happens when we get in community, relationship with other people. See, God has a mission and a purpose for you. God has a plan for you today. You're not living it. You're going to be like that old tree out there. You're going to get to the end of life. It's going to be all about you. Yeah, you might get to heaven. But man, the journey is going to be rough. A lot of bark on the outside. A lot of crustiness on the outside. Oh, committing ourselves to discover. You know, I discovered today God's doing new things to me. I keep having to re, I have to keep re-going after things, developing new habits, better habits, changing. Finally, God wants you to make a difference in your generation. Bow your eyes. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Mm. God's speaking to some. I know, I know. I know the Holy Spirit. I know God put this in my heart. I know if there's just one person that needed this today, all of us are on a spiritual journey. You're here because you're on a spiritual journey. You might be at the beginning where I was, November 19, whatever it was, that was 83, far from God. But there was something in my heart I knew. I knew that I needed something different in my life. And that you might be at that place today in the journey. And a lot of this didn't make sense. 
but you know that you need a change. And you're sensing that this God that I'm speaking of, he's real. You're in your heart. You know that this is true. There's something ringing true. Today, God wants you to know he delights in you. He loves you. Mm. You just got to say, yes, God, I received that today. I received that love. I received that forgiveness. You're in this room right now. You know that your life isn't in right relationship with God. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, right down this room. Right down this room. Come on, anyone in this room right now? Anyone here today? I see those hands. Come on. Amen. I see those hands. Come on. There's other hands going up. Don't miss this moment right now. Amen. God loves you. Just a moment. We're going to pray together. You're here today. God's challenged you to, to grow in Him. To get connected. Get connected in the body. God's speaking to you. That's, that's your next step today. Get relationship with other believers. Maybe today is serving. Maybe your next step is, is finding the, what God shaped you and made you. Beginning to serve others. Minister, it's right in your job. It's right in your neighborhood. It's not in the church. It's just everywhere we go, we're servants. God's speaking to you about that today. Maybe today it's about the next generation making a difference in your life. Today I'm here to tell you that God is real and he loves you. There are several people that raised their hand that said they want to know God today. I want to take just a moment and acknowledge that. As a congregation, can we all just say this prayer today? Lord Jesus. Come on, everyone say to me. Lord Jesus, I admit today that I need you. I desire to flourish. I desire to know you, to be planted in your house. Come into my heart. Change my life. Help me to serve you this day in your wonderful name. Amen.